Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. As you hold your place there, I want us to constantly be reminded of some of the things we've discussed, kind of the principles we've gathered from, um, from Jonah. And one of the ones that... I would really like us to to focus on, there's many, and we'll talk about a bunch more tonight, is being able to hear God's voice spoken to us through the Holy Spirit, uh, reminding us, the Holy Spirit reminding us of God's word. I'm in, excuse me, I'm losing my voice a little bit, so... I'm not uh, getting more feminine as I get older. Um, my voice is getting deeper, just not tonight. And so the, um, the Holy Spirit nowadays, how it works for us, for these guys, a storm comes. And it is a, an unusual storm because these guys are sailors and they're probably used to storms. They're um, they're probably so used to the to storms that it's also um, weather patterns for this particular season, that time of year. Also, um, um, the different times of day that they can expect, the different kinds of winds, and all of a sudden, a very unusual storm that they conclude is the hand of God himself getting their attention. So we have to be biblically sound enough to recognize that, yes, many people, especially in rural areas, villages, countrysides, can be very superstitious, and go down incredibly terrible doctrines and wrong belief systems and just the Illuminati and the flat earth. You guys, did, did, did anybody hear about the flat earth thing? That the earth is flat? Anybody? It's like every new wave of belief and doctrine taking our minds and focus off of our duties and the word of God and all these different things. Um, uh, and, and, and many people, even in our own church, not many, but some started believing in this flat earth. Silly, silly stuff. Um, if, you, if you did, just repent. And, <clears throat> and so there's that superstitious side. I just heard an, again today, and I've heard this for a few years now. The, the Illuminati is actually a shape-shifting reptilian race that lives amongst us. Has anybody heard of that? Guys, I met somebody this summer at church that believes that. And uh, it's a strange thing. 
So there's that superstitious, over-believing, not grounded in truth, not grounded in the word. But also, there's the imbalance of becoming over-logical um, to where faith and supernaturalism and understanding when Satan and the enemy is attacking us and attacking our family uh, and God's hand in a situation and God speaking as um, I've been making mention often on Sunday morning with our studies and the, the end of our studies in John with um, John recognizing he can't visually uh, recognize Jesus Christ with his eyes, but he knows his actions, he knows his voice. And in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they come to me. And John's saying, hey guys, that's Jesus. Well, John's the only one who recognizes that it's Jesus and he doesn't recognize it with his eyes. And so we can't come so far on the other side, which could be a tendency at Calvary Chapel, Eldorant, because of how much I've spoken out against superstition and the, the wrong beliefs of curses and the wrong belief of witchcraft and all of these things that you, uh, many of you grew up with. And, and coming over this other side and not recognizing the hand of God in anything, not recognizing uh, demonic warfare in anything as well. We need to wake up every single morning understanding there, there probably is even demons who are assigned to us specifically. Prince and powers of errors, there's different rankings, different rulers of darkness in this evil present age. It's, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood to the degree, by the way, that we're wrestling against spiritual host of wickedness in dark places. And one of the things that Satan and the demons do, one of the greatest tools of Satan is to convince us he's not uh, at work or that he doesn't exist at all. So these guys recognize on the boat in chapter one that there, there's a supernatural hand at where God has caused this storm. And we don't know exactly how. We don't need to really speculate. But these gentlemen knew, well, this is, this is the cause of somebody on board. And they cast lots or however, drew straws, cast their dice. However it was, they discovered that the lot fell on Jonah, this person in rebellion. Jonah gets swallowed up by a sea creature. The Hebrew word dag uh, is translated sea creature. Um, it's commonly believed a whale. We don't know if it was a whale or not. We do know uh, in 1870 that John Bartley was swallowed up by a whale. They were out fishing for sperm whale to get the oil and the different blubber and things from the, from the sperm whale. And he, uh, the, the whale, the sperm whale was so big that its tail actually flipped over the boat and um, he was swallowed up 
without them knowing, they thought he just drowned and no one saw him. And they actually ended up capturing and killing the whale. And uh, when they were dissecting the whale, they found John Bartley inside the whale. And he was alive. He was unconscious. And they discovered, actually, that he was unconscious not because of oxygen issues or any other issue other than he went into shock through fear and became unconscious in the whale. And John Bartley, um, he started a speaking tour around the United States um, talking about his experience of being swallowed up by the whale and living in the whale for several hours um, and he said he imagined he could have lived there for days because it felt like he had enough oxygen and all those things. Um, and he actually, his hair, as I had mentioned, some of the scientific things that could have happened, um, it actually happened to John Bartley. When he was giving his lectures, he still had uh, pale skin through the type of acid that w came on his skin and completely albino white hair for the rest of his life. And so he was the albino, white-haired John Bartley telling the tale of how he was swallowed up by a whale. There's all these spiritual principles. He was in this tight spot in the whale's stomach, in this trial of affliction, and he didn't... As we, I'm doing review, by the way. We're coming to John 3, Jonah 3. And, and do you notice that in chapter 2, it actually tells us that after three days, he cried out? He's in this trial. He's in this affliction. He's in this tight spot. Um... And those trials that we go through, understand this. James talks us about how count it all joy when we go through trials, knowing that they can produce patience. They do not produce patience in everyone. A trial, a tight spot, can either produce the betterment of somebody or the bitterness of somebody. There are some people who just will not get over the victim mentality. My parents were mean. They beat me. They died. They, and I'm not trying to lessen the kind of pain we go through. But victimhood, entitlement, the victim mentality is an outward manifestation of bitterness in the soul. I've gone through pain. Guess what? Most people have. Stop whining about it. Forgive those because you've been forgiven. And so your tight spots can either produce bitterness or betterment. And you get to decide which one they produce. So Jonah, 
He's vomited out on the dry land near Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, the capital city of Nineveh. One of the questions that we could ask ourselves, I kind of talked about it a little bit, is why did Jonah hate the Assyrians so much? Well, they had taken the Israelites into captivity. When the Assyrians would come into a nation, come into a city to conquer its people, they had all kinds of rituals and incredibly wicked and really despicable and gross practices in order to instill fear in the rest of the world that you better just surrender when we come into town or this is what we're going to do. We're going to come in and we're going to skin a thousand people alive. And while they're screaming and we're filleting and cutting the skin off their bodies, we're doing it in front of the rest of the nation. We're doing it in front of their children. We're doing it in front of their parents. We're doing it in front of their family members, their friends. And we'll pick 100 or 200, 300 people, and we will make you watch us rip the skin off their bodies while they're still alive. And then we will hang the skin of these bodies throughout the city so that everybody knows when they come into the city, this is what happens if you don't surrender to the Assyrians. Maybe Jonah had a family member. Maybe he had an ancestor. Maybe he had a friend. Maybe he had a distant relative who was tortured by an Assyrian army and skinned alive. Who knows? But he, he doesn't like these people. So we should not be so hard on Jonah. It would be, in some ways, the equivalent because also remember, Jonah's a prophet. Prophets were famous in the nations of Israel and in some cases, other nations. And it's possible that, I mean, the Jonah was even known by the Ninevites. Be asking, it would, it would be like asking an immensely famous Jew to go in and during World War II into Berlin and telling Adolf Hitler to repent or God was going to judge him. It's not just that he despises this people, he's maybe afraid of what will happen to him in going in and delivering the gospel. Boy, there's a story I really meant to tell that I'm forgetting, but... So he spit up on sea, he, his hair is white, his eyebrows are bleached, his skin is pale, he's this albino looking crazy guy who's pulling the chunks of, of vomit off of his body, tearing the weeds off of his head. And what did these fishermen think? This wasn't some nice little, you know, apartment inside the belly of the fish with a candle and he's there at a desk writing notes about how he is repenting. He is in a incredible affliction, terrible. 
terrifying affliction. And he doesn't cry out for three days. As the indication here. During this trial, have you ever felt like you're going nowhere during a trial, during a pain, during a tribulation or heartache? There's nowhere. You're going nowhere. There's been times where I have filed paperwork in Kenya and I just thought, you know what? That paperwork has been sitting in some file that nobody has looked at for 12 months. And maybe that's true and it has been true. But the whole time while Jonah's in this trial, the fish is doing that hundreds of mile journey from Tarshish to the shores of Nineveh through the ocean. Nineveh doesn't, or uh, Jonah doesn't know that he's going to Nineveh. He doesn't know the fish is taking him there. He has no clue. After three days, some people speculate, some Bible commentators speculate. Why did it take him three days? Was he that hard-hearted? Did he have that much bitterness? Did he hate those Ninevites that much to where after three days? I don't know. It's possible, but this is what I believe and many believe, that it took him three days to get over his condemnation and shame. You guys ever did something terrible? You can't even read your Bibles. Can't even pray. Can't even go to church. I have. I have. Condemnation sets in. Shame. It's like, what am I going to do? We have a tendency to project what we would do to people on what God would do to us, will do to us. It is this sick, sick, wicked thing. And let me explain exactly what that wicked thing is. It's pride and wickedness because we create a standard of who God is based on who we are. How wicked is that? How prideful is that? To actually think that the Son of God, the Son revolves around the standard that we create for Him rather than believing who He is on what has been revealed to us through Scripture. And we say, okay, because I would not speak to a person who betrayed me terribly. God must not want to speak to me now. God must not want to bless me now. He's not going to deliver me from this whale. Please take this advice that I have had learned in many ways the hard way. Take my advice Run to Jesus immediately because his mercy is not like yours. It's not like mine. He hears us when we cry. 
He is merciful, the Bible says. He is, the Bible says, he is filled to overflowing with mercy. Do you know, and I read this book, I, I highly recommend it, if you can get it, um, Gentle and Lowly by da Dane Ortland. It's, it's, a, it's a must read. It really ministered to me this summer. It's a very medicinal book, though very theological and biblical. Do you know that the only time Jesus talks about in the New Testament, the, the Bible's filled with it talking about who God is, but do you know the only time Jesus describes his heart is only one time in the New Testament? And he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, and he goes on and he, you'll find rest for yourselves. But he talks about how he's lowly. Lowly. He's humble. He's merciful. He's gracious. I, I really, this is on my heart because I see the enemy at work in so many people's lives in this church. People who are serving the Lord in powerful ways, people who love the Lord, even friends of mine. And what's a manifestation of bitterness, worry, lack of faith? One of the great manifestations of bitterness, worry, and lack of faith is fear living in fear. Fear of marriage, through the pressure of family, and maybe you were hurt when you were at some point in your life, a molestation, a rape. I see so many living in, in fear. Now, we don't run into a marriage unwisely. We don't run into relationships, even friendships unwisely. We don't run as we pick into churches unwisely as we're moving around this world. But to live in fear is a manifestation of some sin in our lives. We must repent. He repented after three days. And guess what? The Lord told the fish, spit him out. And then in chapter 3, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, The moment that you repent, the moment that you cry out for mercy is when the Lord speaks to you again. The moment that you fall upon his grace and his mercy is when God starts ministering and speaking out. Now he's already at work, but now he speaks to Jonah a second time. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing, guys. I, I have made a fool of myself so many times. Don't shake your heads. It's like, yes, you have, Pastor. Yes, you have. And all I can do at times when I'm sitting at home reflecting on my pride or some sort of 
embarrassment because of my pride? Because I'm a very active guy. I'm a very passionate guy. And I think, how do you rectify having a bad witness like this? How do you rectify blowing a testimony or blowing your witness? I learned a long time ago, and I have to do this often. Lord, you're the only one. You're so good to me. I'm going to just ask you right here and there, the same day that I've done this thing, forgive me. Show me. Help me. I I need you, Lord. I, I need your forgiveness. Because though I may have sinned, ultimately I've sinned against you. Only, David said, have you, you have I sinned against. Because really all sin is fundamentally against God. Man, he washes me clean every time. Just washes me clean every time. He speaks to Jonah a second time. What would have happened if Jonah jumped back in the ocean and swam into the mouth of the sea creature? Said, I ain't going back in. You know what I think would have happened? He would have, if he would have repented, that God would have had him spit out again. And if he jumped in again, I think God would have had him spit out again if he cried on God's mercy, repented. How many times do we forgive? The disciples asked Jesus, 70. They thought they were real spiritual. They were having a good day, these disciples. They were having a real, hey, just, I, I think of some pious guy with a proper accent. I don't know. Hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus. Mm. Jesus, how many times do we forgive somebody who's offended us? Seven times a day? Seven? Seventy times seven, you wicked disciples. It's like, ah, we never get it right, do we? It's like, what, 490 times a day is the idea there? So some of us are like, okay, God will give Jonah a second chance. No, it's not just the, I, I, I get the cliche, he's a God of second chances, he is. But he's a God of third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth and tenth and 490 per day chances. And if you need to be given 400, forgiven 490 times in one day, you're doing really, really good on being able to recognize that you actually sinned 490 times today. I think too well of myself to think that. It's like, can you really pick 490 sins in a day? It's like, yeah, I sin there and there and there and there and there. That would be incredible insight. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell, tell you. So Jonah arised, arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. The idea is it's so big it takes three days to get through the city. And Jonah began to enter the city, on a, and on a first day's walk, then he cried out, saying, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. Shortest message, largest revival, 
in human history. Never has there been a revival this big in a three-hour message, let alone a few-word message. It's the largest revival in human history. So the people of Nineveh believed. God proclaimed a fast. No, they believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The word of the Lord came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned away from their evil way. God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So he delivers this message, and they repent. Repentance is always accompanied with action and not just mere words, though words are involved. We don't know why exactly this message had such a profound effect upon the nation of, upon the nation, uh, the city of uh, Nineveh. Millions of people, probably. We don't know why. Was it the testimony of the repentance of Jonah? Jonah was spit out. People probably witnessed this fisherman. He was spit out in a port city. It wasn't that it was three days' walk to the city. It was three days' walk through the city. And after about a day, he found a place where it was about the middle of the city, and that's when he preached. People saw what was going on here. They saw the albino skin, the white hair, Possibly along the way, fishermen's run over to Jonah and there's like, what just happened? Can you imagine seeing a sea creature spit up a guy on, on dry land and he wipes off the vomit and the different pieces of vomit off of him? Probably jumps back in. If I was Jonah, gave himself a bath, starts walking to the city. I mean, guys, crowds form in what you think is the wilderness. I mean, I've been in the middle of burnt forest, nobody in sight, flip a car, there's 200 people there. It's like people in villages really have nothing better to do, I guess, I don't know. Hey, people coming, hey, what, what just happened? Yeah, I can tell you what happened. I was running away from the will of God. I um, was thrown into sea, Sea creature swallowed me up. I repented. God spit me out. Because 
and preserve my life because he's merciful. Then he told me to go do what I was originally to do. Do you notice that God tells Jonah to do the very thing that he told him to do originally? Go to Nineveh? Preach? And now he does it. Guys, the message hasn't changed for Jonah. The message hasn't changed for you and me. And we don't just have one command. We have many. Now, we don't view them as commands as often as we need to view them as just privileges. Um, Serving God and obeying him is a privilege, not a burden. I talked about that a little bit on Sunday, about the privilege that Adam had in the garden. He has a naked woman in front of him. They were not ashamed because of their nakedness. And God tells them, this is really what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam wasn't like, oh my gosh, God, your commands are so difficult. They're so hard to follow, you know, right guys? David knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) No. Obeying God is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. Go, therefore, into all the world preaching repentance, baptizing, making disciples, sharing the gospel. Be ready in season and out of season to preach the gospel with all patience and diligence, 2 Timothy. And yet, most people who call themselves Christians do not share the gospel ever. Do not share. And by the way, sharing the gospel is not just sharing the cross and the resurrection. That's definitely an essential part of it. But it's sharing Christ with people. Introducing Christ to people. His nature, his beauty, his goodness, his, 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 his commands, his truth about, yes, salvation, but marriage and, and life and friendships and governments and to be ready and to go. We've been commanded to go as much as Jonah's been commanded to go. And most of us are still sitting in a tight spot, in many cases, getting upset and bitter at the world and maybe even God because we are just not obeying him. We're just not obeying. Do you know it cost Jonah a lot more money to disobey God than it did to obey him? He had to pay for transport to Tarshish. When he got a free ride from God from a whale. It will always cost you more to disobey God, even financially, than it will to obey him. You know, God has commanded you to give a glorifying percentage of your income to your local church. It will cost you more not to do that than to do it. It will cost you more. 
And yet you can tell a lot about a person. In fact, the reason why you can tell so much about somebody with how they handle their money, their affinities, their likes, their dislikes, is because we love. We, we rely on it so much, what it can do for us. That's why the Bible talks about money so much. It'll cost you way more to disobey God than it will to obey him. Way more. It'll cost you time, energy, pain. Oh, so much pain. Do you know how many people? And I, my heart goes out to them. I'm not, I'm not bitter. I'm not, I don't judge. I, I had a gentleman today call. He's like, you should have heard his voice on the phone. One of our members here. Should have heard his voice. He was a sad, broken man. He was running around on his wife, getting drunk all the time, lost his wife, lost his daughter, doesn't know where they are, can't find them. He's living in Bongoma right now. And I, of course, I won't mention his name. And He's just so broken. I said, man, I can't promise you it's there's going to be no more pain and your wife's going to come through the door today if you say a prayer. But you have to repent. You have to repent. You have to, you have to stop the drunkenness. And so much more than that, you have to experience the presence of God in your life through the Holy Spirit and the Word. You have to. Get in, you know, you, you go, he goes, well, I'm living in Bogoma. This is how I found out. I said, okay, well, you say you're a member here. What do you mean by that? He goes, I watch online. I've been here a few times, but I watch online. I said, do not substitute real church for online church. I don't care if you're watching me online. You get to a good church in Bongoma. You find one. I'm sure God has a remnant of people in Bongoma. Find a body of Christ. You're in disobedience. You've cost yourself pain. You're not even assembling together with the believers. You know, I don't know if he called to be comforted, but I, I was gracious, loving. I just, guys, when we disobey God, we put ourselves in a very tight spot. But I do know this. When we repent, he'll deliver us from the tight spot. We may have some scars. We may have some bleached white hair. Josie, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I got some too coming in, man. There's hairs everywhere. I was looking in the mirror the other day. It's like, what have I done, Lord? But you know what? We may have some pain, but he turns that for our betterment rather than our bitterness if we repent. If he would have stayed in that fish, eventually he would have died. And he was in Gehenna. He was in hell. If it was a well, it was 98.6 degrees in that belly. That's hot. <laughs> That's hot. We don't know why they repented like this with such an odd message. <laughs> he didn't even say repent, did he? It's just, uh, you know, it's... Uh, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Ah! You know, that's, that's it. Then he walks off. 
He's leaving. He's going up on a hill, and we're going to discover this drama in the next chapter next week. Maybe it was the testimony. Let me tell you, I think it was all of it. I think it was the combined testimony of the well and the testimony of Jonah's repentance, and because of his repentance, his deliverance, and because of his deliverance, the people had hope that if we repent, God will deliver us from this judgment. That's what I think. And remember this, the testimony of real repentance will always have an effect on people's lives around you. Listen, they may hate you, You may stand up for righteousness and people attack you, but when you walk in repentance and holiness with prophet of war for a few years, (laughs) you you know that person who yelled at you 10 years ago? They're going to call you. And they're going to say, hey, I see what you've been doing the last 10 years. My life is a mess. What's your advice? You guys have experienced this. Storm, you're going to get some calls in 10 years from now for the stands you took against your people. It's going to happen. They, they, it changes people. It changed these guys. <laughs> like, golly, if he can re- forgive that guy, he can forgive us. Okay, the, it goes out, the entire city repents. It's a decree, guys, we're going to fast. We're going to make our animals fast. I mean, this is a real thing. We're going to wear sackcloth. Sackcloth is probably a unrefined uh, patching up of goat hair. And the reason for that is we're going to be discomforted because of our sin. And we're going to pinch. So they're all putting goat hair on the whole city. Slaughter of goats, you know. Sacrifices. And what does the Lord do? Forgive. They mentioned, you notice, violence. Repent of our violence. This was a violent culture. Oh, it would be, I don't know. It would just, I'm not going to stop until it happens, even if it doesn't happen. What a day would be if everybody, to start with, in our church repented. Because if everybody in our church repented, I can tell you right now, there would be a revival in this city. Something would happen. Guys, if everybody repented and started obeying the Lord, hey, I told you to go. Now that you rebelled and you repented, I'm telling you the same thing. Go do what I tell you to do. We would have to buy a hundred acres of land just to contain the people that would be coming to church if we repented. It could start with the Thursday night crowd. Are you in sin? You need to repent. God will forgive you. He will. And let me tell you something. Repentance is action. Jonah's not like, hey, God, Ah, I love you. He spits him out. It's like, okay, I'm still not going to Nineveh. I want you to know that. That's not true repentance. He went. These people, they're herding animals together. You're not eating. We're not eating. We're wearing sackcloth. We're doing ashes. We're not, we're repenting. We're not doing violence. 
They repented of the violence, the evil way, from the violence that is in our hands, it says here. No more of this. We're stopping. And we're doing this. We're fasting. We're doing this. We're denying physical, worldly pleasures. Don't think that you can just have words with God and think that's repentance. Yes, I love you, Jesus. Still live with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Continuing in sexual immorality. Continuing in disobedience. And then also not just going in to the things you're not supposed to be doing, but as I often mention, you're not doing what you are supposed to be doing, which is the biggest problem in the church. On Sunday, you remember, if you find yourself doing what you're supposed to be doing, you won't find yourself doing what you're not supposed to be doing. If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you will be very susceptible to doing what you're not supposed to be doing. It's, it, it's like putting, a, as a guy who's tempted with drunkenness, a bottle of whiskey in front of you and be like, you know what, I'm not going to drink you. <laughs> You're not doing anything else. You're just looking at the bottle of whiskey saying you're not going to drink it. Guys, I'm, I'm really not doing this for dramatic effect. If you put a bottle of whiskey in front of me for longer than a week, I, I don't know how long my personal strength would go on. And I'm not doing any, for, I'm not going to do my job at church. I'm not with my family. I'm not going to drink you. <laughs> I'm strong. No. That thing is going down the tubes, baby. I need to find myself doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Jonah, go. Okay, I'm going. I'm going. I'm walking. I'm preaching. I'm doing what you've called me to do, and each person has their own calling. I'm glorifying you. That's the key to holiness obeying and doing what he's supposed to what we're supposed to be doing not focus on what we're not supposed to be doing peter feed my lambs tend my sheep feed my sheep not hey stop fishing i told you to stop doing this and i told you to stop doing that and i told you to stop doing that why are you doing it you know no do so that you find yourself Busy with the Lord's work and you're not doing what you're not supposed to be doing. Commit thy thoughts to the Lord and your works will be established. Do you guys understand this is a huge issue in the church today? Some sort of verbal confession without any true direction and walking with your feet? Oh, I love the Lord. I, I wasn't completely in the right the other night when I had a confrontation with a, a couple. Me and my wife were together on a date. People wouldn't stop running in their mouths at the movie theater. They were talking real loudly. Then they started cussing. I said something. She started yelling. I, I got a little upset. But I'm not going to tell you about my sin. One of the things, I'm just, she, she was, you could tell that she had been drinking. You could tell she watched CNN way too much. She started calling me a white supremacist, white privileged. 
It's like, I moved to Africa. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's, just, it's crazy. I, I love, I think I'm black. What are you talking about? I'm like, I'm a Christian. She goes, I am a Christian too. You don't think I'm a Christian. You think I'm poor, don't you? And she pulled out her necklace that was in her shirt and it had a cross on it. I'm like, so you're a Christian because you have a necklace with a cross on it? Do you know that that, guys, do you know how common this is? I'm a Christian because I believe in Jesus with my mind. I'm a Christian because I wear a cross necklace and my parents are good Catholics. I'm a Christian because I go to church. No, no. Christianity is loving Jesus Christ, being born again, and if we love him, we'll obey him. Repentance. And God saw their works, that they turned away, they acted, they turned away from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Disaster is coming if we don't repent. Jeremiah 18, 7 and 8 says, The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck them up and to pull them down and destroy that. This is God speaking through Jeremiah the prophet. It says, If that nation against whom I have spoken turns and repents, I will turn away from doing what I have spoken. It's amazing. Guys, this isn't just for the nation of Israel. This is for the Kenyan nation. This is for the American nation. This is for the Great Britain. This is for China. This is for you and me. If you're in sin, you have to do business with God and you need to repent, he will turn away from the disaster that's coming upon you. But if you don't, disaster is coming upon you soon. Doesn't matter if you live to be 80, it's really soon. I still think I'm 24, I'm not, my body hurts. Repent. Turn upon his grace, fall upon his mercy. One of the greatest people in all the Bible. Do you know that David, King David, is going to be the high prince of the nation or the, the, in Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem? This guy was a wicked dude. Remember, he killed Uriah, stole his wife. Why does God like David so much? Why? And I'm going to end with this. Why? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why does God like this guy so much? He really did, man. I often think, man, God just liked Chuck Smith. He just liked Chuck Smith. I mean... Chuck was not a dynamic guy, not a charismatic guy. You know what he was? He was a humble man. 
filled with humility. God likes humility. David was filled too with humility. I mean, God gets to choose what he wants to do. You know what's interesting? He's like, I want him to be the prince for eternity in the new Jerusalem. The Bible says he will be. <laughs> That's kind of cool. It's like, hey, Prince David, you want to go throw some rocks around today? You know, you know we're going to ask him that, right, guys? It's like we're going to have, I don't know what the, the marksmanship's going to be in the new Jerusalem. It's like, hey, go 80,000 yards out. There's the bullseye. Let's see who can hit it. God, he likes this guy. Let me tell you what I see besides just the humility. God loves when we have an understanding of who we, who he is, and we don't project our understanding of who he is based on who we are, and we fall upon his mercy immediately after sin. David did it all the time. David was in a tight spot. You remember when they came to um, be with their families uh, to have some reprieve from war? And their families had been taken and all of their booty. It's a King James word. It, all of their booty was taken with their families. No pun intended. That'd be upsetting. No, the booty is all their belongings and their families were taken. Do you remember what these guys were going to do to David? He's their king. You know what? We're going to kill you, David. You're responsible for this. And you know what? David, he doesn't panic. Can you imagine some of the toughest guys on planet Earth circling around you like, we're going to kill you, and they were your friends five minutes before that? David's like, you know what? Just, just chill. You're not going to do nothing because God's in control. And guess what? I'm going to fall upon his mercy. When David sinned against God with Bathsheba and Uriah, he, he falls upon God's mercy immediately after the prophet Nathan reveals to him what he had done. He understood the nature of God because he knew God very well. And he falls upon God's mercy over. Guys, do that. Fall upon his mercy. Fall upon his grace. You'll see amazing things. And I believe God is going to, he's not like, he doesn't like David from some inherent awesomeness that David has. He loves David because how David saw God, he saw God for who God was and is. Don't project your own shame and condemnation on how God's going to treat you. Fall upon his mercy and truly repent. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this chapter. Thank you for your grace. May your Holy Spirit do its work, an infinite work that I could not even come close to doing in the talk tonight. And would you minister to your people as we depart in fellowship? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718-012-496.
012496. See you next time.